Hello, and uh, welcome to Hollywood History. I am Blake. And I'm Ross. And we are two uh, lifelong history buffs. We are not, we're not really historians, but uh, we, we enjoy talking about history a lot. And uh, we decided to start up this little podcast to talk about historical films and uh, TV shows and uh, maybe some documentaries later on. Yeah. That's right. Um, and um, we're starting with this first one, uh, A Bridge Too Far. Which, if you're a history buff at all, uh, if you enjoy reading about World War II, you have almost definitely seen this film. It's it's one of the most famous World War II films. Yeah. Um, and it was it was uh, released in 1977. Uh, had a great cast. Uh, if you look at the cast, it was incredible. Um, it was based off a book by Cornelius Ryan, who, if you've ever heard of the movie The Longest Day, that was also based off of one of his books. So uh, he, he was a very prolific war writer. He was actually a correspondent during the war. And he also wrote A Bridge Too Far. Uh, and they made the movie about it. And that's what we're talking about today. Yeah. It's so a great uh, movie. It is. So I, I guess we'll just go ahead and start off by, by giving our general thoughts on the film. Would you like to go first? Um, overall, it's a, it, I mean, it's a good movie. It's just so long. I mean, it, 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 it's a good buildup, which is very, like, it gets you in like the mood. It's like very suspenseful, but it just, it's, you don't get any action until two hours in. It feels like, I mean, it is, it is indeed a, really a very long film. This, this feels like a film that is made for history buffs. Uh, that's for yes. sure. I, I like it. I think maybe a little bit more than you do. You seem like, uh, you seem like you liked it, but maybe not loved it i i love this film it is, is one of my favorite war movies uh, but you're definitely right though there isn't a lot of action in that first hour there isn't really any action and it it all works towards building it up um but the thing i find most impressive about this film most impressive and uh the thing that i think i like the best about it is you can just tell how much uh how much time and passion went into these battle scenes oh um, for sure it's incredible uh i my my dvd of the film came with this little booklet uh and it has some fun facts and it's really interesting they went and they had to pull tanks from all these different museums across europe to make the movie they even had to pull one tank off the top of like a podium that was that was standing there like as a monument and they put it back into working order for the movie (laughs) that's amazing so if you're if you're a fan of sherman tanks at all this film is probably for you there are a ton of sherman tanks in this movie um, there's a lot or of even things. the B-17s, the planes. They had tons of planes. Those, are, yeah, the C, the this the parachute drop scene with all those that, C-47s. That scene was awesome. It is indeed incredible. And you you know the um the gliders in that scene. Yes. They they didn't have any left. So what the filmmakers had to do was build them, and they built them at a cost of thirty five thousand dollars each. And I think they built about twelve of them for the film. So you can you can really tell they're they're just absolute um, them absolutely wanting to follow the story as closely as possible. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'd say one big thing about the movie that could probably hinder your enjoyment of it, uh, and we'll get into our general likes and dislikes later. This is just kind of where we're talking about our thoughts overall. But but one thing that you might want to think about before going into this film. It's not a very happy film. It's a it's a very depressing film, especially towards the yeah. end. 
a lot of people get killed, a lot of people get injured, and a lot of people get captured. Uh, the Allies fail horribly in this movie. Uh, it is, it is, uh, it's really quite, um, uh, quite a thing to behold. And um, I think that can transition us quite well into the story behind the film. And I, I know, I know a lot about this, so this part will will mostly be me talking. But Ross, if, feel free to chime in whenever you feel like it. So Sounds it is good. it is 1944, uh, as we all know very famously, the Western Allies invaded um, France in June. Uh, and I believe they invaded southern France in July. I believe it was in July. That was Operation Dragoon. So it was a little bit yes. late. So the Western Allies were were just through Western Europe, mostly France. Uh, the Russians at this point they have won the Battle of Kursk. They have won the Battle of Stalingrad. They are just plowing across Eastern Europe. I believe by 1944 they're already into Poland at this point. So they are, they are very close. Things are not going well for the Germans at this point. But the Allies, they want to end the war by Christmas. And that's one of the things they say a lot in the film is we, we want to end this war by Christmas, less than 100 days. And so um, if you've ever seen the film Patton, you know that um, Field Marshal Montgomery and General Patton had a very, very strong rivalry. And they both wanted to be the ones to beat the Germans. And they, they say that in the opening of the film. And um, Montgomery devises this plan, and he devises it in a matter of days, which, if you know anything about strategic planning, that is, that's a very, very short amount of time. Yeah. And his plan is to have paratroopers dropped around nine strategic bridges, and the last one of which, which is an Arnhem, which is the most important, that one uh, leads across the Rhine. So the Allies' plan is to... Uh, blaze this path straight through Holland and then get across the Rhine and drive into the Ruhr. The Ruhr. The R-U-H-R. That one's kind of hard to say, but close enough. That's their plan. Um, But if you see in the film, you know that this plan has a lot of problems. Firstly, Operation Market Garden, which was the name of the operation that Monty planned, it was the largest airborne operation at the time, and I it could still be the largest, but don't quote me on that. Um, but at the time, it was the largest airborne drop ever. And the Allies didn't actually have enough planes to get all of the paratroopers in at once. So you're staggering the amount of troops going in. Um, there, were, there weren't very many good landing places close to these bridges. And again, they also state that in the film, is that the Arnhem Bridge, which is the most important bridge, they couldn't land uh, very close to it. I believe they had to land about eight miles away. And Arnhem Bridge was 60 miles from the Allies' front, uh, front lines. And what Monty wanted to do was get there in two days. So he wanted to drive basically 30 miles a day, which is incredibly unrealistic. That is beyond hopeful thinking. Like, that is just not going to happen. And the single road leading to Arnhem is very thin. It became known as Hell's Highway because they kept getting stopped by Germans who were blowing up their vehicles. And um, when they finally launched the operation... It ended up lasting nine days instead of two. The Allies took about 16,000 casualties. Uh, British 30 Corps, which were the troops moving along the road to try and meet up in Arnhem, took the brunt of the casualties, but also the paratroopers in Arnhem, I believe the 1st Airborne Division, took 
uh, a large number of casualties as well. At the end of the film, Major Urquhart says, I went into Arnhem with 10,000 men and I came out, uh, I came out with about two. And that is true. He lost the, the first airborne division took just massive losses. Um, although, although they did bravely hold on for like nine, uh, nine days. It was pretty incredible. But, um, yeah, overall, it was just a complete failure. And of course, the name of the film, A Bridge Too Far, it comes from a quote that was allegedly said by Frederick Browning, who is kind of painted as the main villain of the film. Um, he says, I think we may have gone to a bridge too far. He allegedly said that to Monty during the planning when he said, sir, I think we may be going a bridge too far. So that's where the title of the film comes from. Uh, and that is obviously a very famous quote um, that is still used as an expression today. Uh, if people think they're overreaching, they might be saying, oh, I think I'm going a, a bridge too far. Uh, and, and that really does signify the whole film. It's the allies were just they were trying to succeed in a plan that was never going to succeed. Um, and unfortunately, they failed miserably and it, it led to a lot of casualties. Yeah. 35,000 um, to be exact. That's right. And um you know, it was just it was just a, a a horrible mess all the way around, and the Allies had a hard time recovering from it. I mean, this is this is late 1944. England is already having some manpower problems because they've already lost a lot of people during World War II. So this really doesn't help them at all. And the Allies get kind of a tough break at the end of 1944. Um, the Americans. Uh, they try to fight the Germans in the Hurtgun Forest uh, in November, I believe, and that was also a failure. And then in late December, the Battle of the Bulge happens, and the um, the American troops, while they did win that battle, took, I believe, 90,000 casualties, something insane. So, so um, late 1944 is decisive, but it is incredibly costly for the Western Allies. That that is kind of the general story of Operation Market Garden. Of course, you could you can dive into that more if you want. There is a lot to talk about there, a lot which I don't think we could reasonably cover in the move uh, in the film, uh, in in the purview of a podcast. But um, yeah, there that is definitely something I would look uh, look into. Uh, Cornelius Ryan is a great writer, so if you want to read about the battle, uh, pick up a bridge too far. Uh, I've, I've heard only good things about it, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was that was really just it was it was a big mistake on the allies part to plan it and that's kind of the overall theme of the film. Yeah, it was just a rush to finish the war and I mean they paid greatly for it. Yeah. So one thing we talk about uh when we talk about historical films, generally when people talk about historical films is how accurate is it? And um Generally, I'm not too big of a stickler, uh, stickler on accuracy. As long as I enjoy the film, I'm fine with it. But as we previously said, this film stuck to its guns when it came to history. It was exceedingly accurate, like unbelievably accurate how much effort went into this film. Um, but of course, no historical film is perfect. Yeah. Uh, there are inaccuracies. Uh, and, and, and that's just, you know, that's how making a film works. A, f- a real event cannot uh, cannot properly and completely accurately be displayed in a three-act film. And obviously, they, they tried their best, but... Um, yeah, there was uh, missed out 
there's little bits of like here and there that were inaccurate, but it wasn't major or anything that you'd notice. It's it just like when you dive deeper into it, you're like, all right. The, the first major one that pops out at me, and I guess maybe it's not major, but it is something to note, is in the beginning of the film, there is a narration. And basically, uh, the woman says, before D-Day, Hitler was winning the war. And that is, it's kind of an oversimplification. It's, it's really an oversimplification. And I would highly disagree with that sentiment. Um, in 1944, even early 1944, things weren't going that great for Hitler. Um, obviously, we, we talked about um, we talked about D-Day, but even before that, uh, like we said, the Russians, uh, the Soviets, had won the Battle of Kursk. They'd won Stalingrad, so they were just plowing back towards uh, Germany with everything they had. Um, in um, in North Africa, Hitler had been pushed uh, pushed out in 1943, so he had completely lost North Africa at this point. Uh, Italy was out of the war at this point, at least as far as fighting for the Axis powers. The Allies had invaded Sicily and Italy, so they were already on mainland Europe. So I, w- I would hardly say that uh, things were going Hitler's way at this point. It was um, it was not looking good for Hitler. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was it was pretty bad. Um, he was he wasn't doing very well um, at all. I mean, you kind of nailed it right there on the head. He's yeah. struggling. Um, there are, there are a fair amount of like minor inaccuracies in the film, like the C-47s, they were painted the wrong color, but no one, that's not really important. Uh, that doesn't really affect the accuracy all too much. Um, yeah, there's, um, there's a scene in the film, uh, where John Frost, who was, uh, in charge of the British first airborne in Arnhem, Colonel John Frost, you see him run across the street to the other side to try and talk to the British on the other side. Do you remember that scene? Yes, I do remember that scene. Well, in real life, uh, he actually walked across the street straight up because he had to show the boys uh, how to act British and not be scared. So, so that was an, uh, that's a very interesting one, a uh, very funny one. Um, a few characters were condensed down to save time. Um, Colonel Stout, who is played by Elliot Gould in the film, is actually based off of Robert Sink. And if you've ever seen Band of Brothers, uh, he is actually in that series. Um, so he was he was kind of a condensed version of his character to save time. Um, the scene in the film with the sergeant who saves his lieutenant by taking him to the doctor, um, that guy was real, but they also had to change his name for the film. Um that scene is also very accurate, though, and that, that's a very good scene, uh, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, I love that scene where he, he puts yeah. the pistol on the doctor, and then the doctor finds out that he can actually save the, save the sergeant. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's very interesting because, um, you know, that, that actually happened. Uh, you know, it's, that, makes it, that makes it all the more interesting uh, and, and uh, great in terms of the film. Um, there's also some equipment inaccuracy, uh, just, just for the fact that, uh, some of the planes are inaccurate, uh, and that's really no fault of the filmmakers. I mean, the, at this point, the war had ended like 30 years prior, so there really wasn't much of a way that they could get completely 100% accurate equipment. Yeah. Um, 
so that that really can't be on them um uh, i'm going through kind of a general list here of of inaccuracies and just seeing the big ones um i mean those are those are really the big inaccuracies um it's it's like i said previously it was an exceedingly accurate film it just it tried its best to get it right and it, it mostly succeeded um Another scene that was really accurate was the scene where the paratroopers from the 82nd Airborne have to cross the river on boats. Uh, and they do so under heavy fire to take the bridge. And that scene, the major in that scene who is uh, reciting Hail Mary, he actually did that. And the reason he did that was so his paratroopers could sort of stay calm and so that they could row at a constant rate. Uh, and so that was very interesting for me to find out about that. That also actually happened. Uh, it's a, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. To think about they 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 took the time to sneak in even the smallest of details into the story, which I I loved. I mean, little things like him singing Hail Mary. They made sure to not forget about it. Forget about it. Yeah. Um. Uh. Um. Yeah. I believe there's there's another scene in the film, uh, where. And we can talk more about this later in our, our general likes, because this is probably my one of my favorite parts of the film, where they're standing on top of the building in Arnhem, and a German soldier comes across and he says, we want you to surrender. Uh, in real life, that was a captured British sergeant. But again, that really doesn't change all too much there. Yeah. So, yeah, I think if you watch this movie, you can get a good understanding of what actually happened. It gets it about as close as a historical film can be. Um, I mean, it's up there with movies like like Gettysburg uh, in terms of accuracy. Just stuff like that. Uh, Patton is another good one. Yeah. Uh, movies that just really tried their best. And I think for the most part succeeded. Um, when this movie came out, it didn't get rave reviews by any means. Uh, and I think a lot of that could probably be up to the fact that it was 1977 and... Uh, America had only been out of the Vietnam War for like four years at that point, so they probably didn't enjoy it. And there was also the fact that it was an Allied loss, and that probably made not a lot of people want to go see the film. Um, but in in recent years, it's really um, it's really grown in popularity, and I do think it is. Uh, I do really enjoy the film. So that's where I would like to take us to our general likes of the film. What is what do we generally enjoy about the film? And I've been speaking a lot, Ross, so why don't you go ahead? All right. Well, first of all, I mean, I mean, we just kind of covered a huge reason why I like this film. It's just the accuracy. I mean, there's no CGI. I mean, they did all of this, like, truly to the best they could physically doing it. I mean, they had a little bit. I mean, it just is so accurate and on point. I mean. And then you, they put in all the little effort. I mean, you can truly tell that this film wasn't just thrown together. I mean, they really took the time to plan out every little, every little story. Every, I mean, it just it flows nicely. Um, the only thing I disliked was the was just how long it was, which is fine when you have a film that. I mean, there's no other way they could have done it. I mean, unless you skip the planning, but the planning was an important part of the film. So I mean, I think they. They nailed it on the head. Uh, just in overall, I mean, overall, it's a great film. Uh, not too much you can complain about. Uh, yeah, I think I think that would be one point where I would personally disagree. I always, 
I am a fan of like three hour long movies, four hour long movies, stuff like this, like Dances with Wolves, Lawrence of Arabia. We mentioned Gettysburg. Those are all really long movies. I, uh, I enjoy stuff like that. And my advice to anyone who does want to watch this film, which I do suggest you watch it, uh, it's you can find it on Amazon Prime. It's on YouTube. It's, it's a pretty easy film to seek out and uh, watch is uh, split it into two parts. Um, yes. Watch the watch the first half or watch the planning phase one day. Watch the battle scenes the next day. Uh, the way I like to do it, uh, the way I do with long films generally, I'll watch the first half on like a Friday night. The second half, I'll wake up on a, on a Saturday morning, get myself a cup of coffee, maybe a donut, and just uh, watch the second half of the film. Um, and it's, it's coming up onto fall now. Uh, well, actually, we are in fall now, and October's coming up. It's getting a little chilly outside, and one of my favorite things to do around that time is uh, is is uh, stay inside and watch war movies. Uh, really take advantage of that time. Makes me feel nice and warm inside. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, gotta do what you gotta do. So, so those were those were generally your likes and dislikes. My likes, like you said, the accuracy. Um, I mentioned it earlier. My favorite, one of my favorite scenes in the film is when the British, they're standing on top of the building and the Germans send over a sergeant to ask them if they want to surrender. And, uh, John Frost goes, uh, tell him to go to hell. And the, the guy next to him says, we haven't the proper facilities to take you prisoner. So he's basically, it's, it's, it's hilarious. And there's a lot of good British humor in this, in this movie, uh, sort of dry wit, uh, it's it's good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff in it. Um, yeah, the action scenes, like I said, those are all great. Uh, specifically, I would I lo- I want to point out the uh, the scene with the paratroopers where they drop them. Those paratroopers were dropped over the very same place that the paratroopers in real life were dropped. So that scene is is incredible for multiple reasons. You even get uh, perspectives from people jumping out of the planes. Uh, so that's all pretty great. Um, I, I really enjoy the tank battles. It, uh, I'm I'm not a tank expert. Uh, I don't know how accurate those are, but uh, they are fun to watch. Um, those are really really good. I love tank combat, so we'll definitely have to talk about Fury at oh, some point. Sure. That's on the list. A Fury is um, one of my top favorites. That's a that's a very contentious film. You'd be surprised how many hate uh, how many people hate that movie. Um, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. But um, uh, yeah, this, this movie, I don't know how accurate the tank combat is, but it's really good. Um, those are those are things I really like most about it. The first hour, I would I understand why people wouldn't like that. But for me, it does a really good job at building tension because um, there, there are all these signs that the operation is going to fail, but they're like, we're going ahead with it anyway. Uh, the scene with um, where, where uh, the major i believe his name is fuller they changed his name for the film um he's named fuller in the film uh shows pictures to uh general browning of the tanks that does a very good job i think of of building tension up for what's about to happen yeah that, um especially when they're talking about the generals just being like oh three pictures isn't, isn't going to stop the biggest operation and I'm, since d-day yeah, yeah. d-day I mean, it just kind of make, puts in your mind like they really need this to go. I mean, it and it also really away. shows it really shows the hubris of of uh, Monty 
specifically. Uh, and a lot of the blame from Monty is put on to General Browning. Uh, but it really just shows the hubris that Monty has that he thinks he can win this. Um, and it was, just, it was a bad idea from the start. So, yeah. And that yeah. is that is uh, accurately portrayed in the film. Um, a quick little fun part that I thought you might cover was uh, the guy dying over hats. I mean, I, yeah, that's true. I, yeah. I know it was a serious part of the film, but when I saw it was hats, I, as wrong as it is, <laughs> I burst out laughing. I mean, I just. Yeah. <laughs> that that part kind of failed in in making you feel sad, and that's one thing that that's one thing you never want to do in a historical film is have your uh, have your audience laugh when they're supposed to be crying. And if we ever talk about the film Gods and Generals, which is an, an awful film, it's a sequel to Gettysburg. There are definitely a, a few laugh worthy uh, moments in that movie, uh, but I think here uh, that is really the only one I can think of. Yeah, that's the only um, time that I burst out laughing. Yeah, another part of the movie that I, I didn't like so much was, and we mentioned this earlier, it's depressing. And that's not my problem with it. My problem is that just kind of like it hits you over the head with it repeatedly. Like in a film like Saving Private Ryan, yeah, it's clear that war sucks. They make that clear, but they don't shove it down your throat. Here, towards the end of the movie where you have the guy, the injured British soldier, and he's playing the fife, and there's just a bunch of uh, dead British bodies there's like five minutes worth of shots of just the British sitting there dejected after they've been captured. They they really, really have to hammer home the fact that the, that the British lost. And it's at some point you just kind of think to yourself, yeah, I get it. Can we move on a little yeah. bit? Wait, enough is enough. Um, and like you said, it's a long movie. It It really stretches out the end of the movie. It really hurts the pacing. And this movie already didn't have incredible pacing to begin with, but that really hurts the pacing right there, in my opinion. Yeah. It's like the first 20 minutes and then the last 20 minutes. They're kind of like, are, are these really needed? I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just everything is so slow. I mean, it, and then the planning picks up and then it's like, all right, we're, we're on the move. And then, and then towards the end of the film, it's like, okay, we've been seeing bodies and people that are just sad and depressed, like you said, that are just sitting there there's no nothing going on there's and i think we we'd already understood that to this point we understood they lost so it's really just dragging out something that didn't need to be dragged out i mean we already got the point yeah um i thought like i mentioned earlier i thought most of the acting in this movie was really really good uh great cast one person who i don't think does a bad job acting but um gene hackman who portrays the the Polish general, his accent is, is, it's not very good. He's like, uh, the Germans. Yeah. He says he pronounces all of his G's as, he pronounces all of the just sounds as Gus. And, um, it's pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's what Polish people sound like, but I thought it was pretty funny when he kept saying, the Germans, don't the Germans know we're coming? Yeah. It was it wasn't a very convincing accent. Well, yeah, it was not at all. He he still sounded American at that point, but just like he was pronouncing his G's differently. Yeah, which is all right. It's just one of those little inaccuracies that was just just happened. Yeah. Um. Uh. One thing I do want to applaud the movie for is it doesn't portray the Germans as completely horrible people, but on the same side it doesn't portray them as just being soldiers either. They're definitely the enemy in this film, but they're not, um, 
they're not just made out to be comical villains. Yes. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people go to the extremes on one side or the other. You might have one movie where the Germans are like maniacally laughing or something like that. Uh, and I believe that that's not very accurate. But at the same time, you have certain movies that portray the Germans as they were just fighting for their country. They were really great people, which uh, they were not. No. They were they were fighting for a murderous regime. So it's not really something we should be glorifying. Yeah. But I would I I do want to give the movie points for just having them having them how I think movies should portray them mostly. Obviously, if you're doing a film about like the Holocaust, then yes, uh, villainize the Germans because they deserve to be villainized in that case. But uh, I feel like they did a good job here. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, those are those are really my major thoughts. Uh, I don't know if you want to add anything else. Um, not much. I mean, we kind of covered most of what this story entails. I mean, it is, it is a great film. Yeah, so um, I would say go watch the film. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's pretty easy to seek out. Go find it. Yeah. Buy, buy the DVD for five bucks yeah. if, if you can't find it on Amazon or YouTube. It's free on um, YouTube. You just have to watch it on yeah. something other than a phone. Yes. And um, yeah, so that that kind of wraps up our, our very first episode of this podcast. Uh, I very much enjoyed it. Um, we have not decided on what our next film will be, but you can expect that in about two weeks. Uh, we plan to do a new episode uh, every two weeks. Um, so um, I'm excited to talk then. Um, we'll discuss what we can watch at that point. Um, but this has been Blake. And this is Ross. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, we uh, we very much appreciate it. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye.